0: you're listening to CITR FM102 102, cable 102 Vancouver British Columbia Canada and it's time right now for the Ward, to human serviette radio show you just heard right there from 1984 Chardon Square with 65 film star and that is from a compilation ideal, idealistic youth US 80s Mod Revival, Volume 1, California. I, 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 idealistic, idealistic youth. And today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, an interview with Joey Shithead of the rock and roll band DOA from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And to prepare you, for Joey Shithead. Here are the Bags who will be playing, Alice Bag from the Bags, who will be playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on Sunday, July 8th at the SBC. The Bags are going to be playing with the Transmitters, the Transmitters, I like to call them, or maybe. Nobody calls them except me. The Corner Boys and Necking. So right now, we are going to hear pretty much those bands. We might hear the Transmitters' favorite fellows, Fashionism also fronted by Jeffrey Fashionism are. So we're going to hear something by Fashionism well. But right off the bat here is Alice Bag who again is going to be playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on Sunday, July 8th at the Smiling Buddha Cabaret ah, ah, the SBC. Here is Alice Bag with He's So So
1: Are you really going back to him? He said he was sorry. He always says that. I really believe him this time.
2: Pretending this is how you live your life. It's all. I-
0: So good. We have to play it twice. And that there right now, you heard, is a band necking from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, who are playing with... The Transmitters and the Corner Boys and Alice Bag at the SBC on July 8th. So that was Necking with their song, Stop Singing. And before that, the Corner Boys with Where Did I Go? And before that, Fashionism with Weekend. And again, Fashionism are fronted by Jeffrey. Thank you for the postcard. And they also Fashionism are fronted by by Jeffrey. Uh, Like, they're fronted by Jeffrey, who also fronts the Transmitters, the Transmitters, who are playing with the bags, who we played to begin that set with. He's so sorry. And we have a caller on the line right now. Hello, caller. Are you there?
3: I am there at How are you doing?
0: Good. Uh, Who are you, caller? And could you move a tiny bit closer to the microphone if possible
3: yes i can it's uh, joe keithley from d o a there in hardware
0: hello joe keithley who are you Jewel? joe who are you who are you exactly
3: man I'm a man of mystery obviously right so um i'm the singer for doa that, that's who I am.
0: You're the singer for DOA, and I was mentioning another gig, not competing with your gig, but the gig was with Alice Bag at the yep. SBC, the Smiling Buddha cabaret on July oh. 8th. And that makes me think a little bit, you're having a gig coming up. Could you tell me about your gig? And also could you tell me the differences between the smiling Buddha that DOA played long ago and has played the SBC since what is the differences?
4: Um,
0: you know what? It, well, having
3: like a skate, like having like a, a half pipe in there, you know, for skaters, I, obviously that, that's completely different. Uh, the neighborhood's a lot rougher than it used to be, you know, back in the eighties. And uh, you know what is bigger now? And It's also like uh, you also don't have Lashman and Nancy and uh, Robbie. Uh, the, the family that ran it, the, who were like real characters. But there's a fine set of characters running it now, right? So um, the show we have coming up is uh, Friday, July 6th. So it's uh, called the First Annual Fight Back Festival. And strangely enough, it features DUA, along with its Roundup and Catlow, Chief State, Star Points, Fort Pier. In the well, Jesse Laborde, Laborde uh, David M. from No Fun, and Doug Andrew, a little buddy of mine.
0: From Shanghai Dog at the rickshaw.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so 10 different acts. Some of them acoustic, uh, five of them, uh, you know, loud bands.
0: I was curious, though, Joey, what is the difference in the actual building between the old Smiling Buddha and yeah, the new hopefully. Smiling Buddha? Is there any difference in the built? Like, it's not the same, is it?
3: No, it's not the same at all, other than the fact that it's the same, uh, like, ceiling height and width and length and all that kind of stuff. So, When you walk in now, the bar is on the left, but when you used to walk in, the bar was on the right, okay, Uh, which is not that much of a difference, but it was a a vantage point for Igor, who was the the doorman, because he could look from that point to the front door to the back door, see if anybody was sneaking in, right? So, which was like a, a very common occurrence. That's how you could get. 200 people into the place when you weren't supposed to have 105 in the old days so it's, it's quite, actually quite a bit bigger now because they knocked out the whole kitchen in the back like where the stage is at the back that used to be the kitchen and of course we know steve the caretaker down below the kitchen that's where he used to hide the bodies right but that's another story
0: uh, baboon is there anything left is there anything left is there anything like a radiator is there anything
5: left
3: uh, I don't know, because it was Malcolm and uh, his partner, I talked to him when they did, and they said they pulled out, like, I can't remember, it was like 15 uh, dumpsters load of, uh, of stuff, like material, like ceiling, wall, uh, floor. He said the ceiling was just what had collapsed in on itself uh, when they took it over. Like, it was, like, falling through. And they ended up rebuilding the whole thing, which is, like, crazy, but I'm really glad they did it. So it's like one you know, because the Smiling Blue there Nardwire, used to be referred to as Banker's oldest and finest night spot. So there you go.
0: And apparently Jimi Hendrix sat in there. He sat in there, right?
3: He did. Uh, there was like, a few years ago, the Hastings uh, Business Crossing um, group or whatever, right? Uh, they did a documentary um, with people of all ages. Uh, ranging from 20 to uh, 85, had a connection with the Buddha and documented a lot of the older people, you know, before they passed on, you know, that type of thing. And uh, the one story I heard was that uh, Jimmy had come in there because it was Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, right, Uh, was his act coming up from Seattle. and uh, But he saw this weird guy playing guitar who was back to the audience was experimenting with, like, feedback and going crazy and doing this weird stuff. And so... The original people at the Buddha, this is in the 60s, uh, maintained that's where Jimi Hendrix ripped off and got a, a big part of his shtick uh, that obviously made him one of the you know, greatest entertainers in the world.
0: Now, speaking of Jimi Hendrix, Wendy's Restaurant, Wendy's Restaurant, that is where I first saw you, at the Wendy's Restaurant on Camby and Broadway.
3: Really? Okay. At the Wendy's, okay. i probably grabbing a quick burger, I'm sure.
0: What do you remember about that era? It was probably like about nineteen eighty seven. Let's take you back to nineteen eighty seven. Do you remember this era? I'm gonna play you something right now. We are speaking to Joey from DOA, who is playing at the Rickshaw next Friday, July sixth. Here is a little clip from nineteen eighty seven.
6: Well, um, Nardwar, the Human Serviette is already late, so I'm going to play. That is, well, oh. you think? The, is he that, wants that my concern? I oh, like to... Nardwar, the Human Serviette. Like a serviette, what do you do? You wipe your ass with it, or what? <laughs> yeah, he's well, guy right
3: guy here. He you know,
0: He's right behind me. <laughs> do you remember that at all, Joey?
3: I do. I do. And of course, it was uh, followed by one like, a, a characteristic and a uh, copyrighted and trademarked laughs, rights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was on Dean Paul Kennedy's show, Expo '66.
3: Oh, okay. I don't remember that part. I just remember being on C.I.T.R. right, and uh, uh, that's where I first met you. And um, I remember that date, and it just like uh, it was, it was pretty funny, right? So it and, was uh,
0: 1987. 1987. Congratulations, Joey, for still being in the game. You are still in the game, eh?
3: I'm still in the game, yeah. Well, you know, one of the new songs, uh, we have a new album out called Fight Back, and uh, one of the songs on it is called You Can't Stop Me, but it's really about equating myself to uh, Reggie Dunlop, uh, the famed coach in Slop Shot, who has at this point in his career... Become a playing coach, right? So, you know, and then he skates onto the ice at the beginning of slap shot, and he gets out there, and a, a a lady stands up in the stands and go like, "Hey, Dunlop, you old fart, why don't you retire?" Right? Like, uh, so I see myself in my Reggie Dunlop mode at the, at this point in time, right? So, still able to play, but a playing
0: coach. Joey of the band DOA playing the Rickshaw Theater on July If anybody has any questions for Joey, it is 604-822-2487, 604-822-CITR, or 604-UBC-CITR to speak to Joe from DOA. I was curious, Joe. The Subhumans, all these festivals that you've played nowadays or even like 10 years ago, have you ever met the UK subs or the Subhumans UK? Because I interviewed Dick from the Subhumans UK and I tried to get Dick from the Subhumans UK who were coming to Vancouver for the first time ever to play Slave to My Dick and his name is Dick. It'd be amazing for an encore song. Have you ever met those guys (laughs) at all? The UK subs or the Subhumans? Of course, Wimpy would be up for it. I'm sure singing "Rest in Peace" if he was around. But did you ever in any contact with the U.K. subs or subhumans?
3: Yeah, I know. I know Charlie and I know Dick. uh, Both feel like fairly well done lots of shows. Did a month touring with uh, Charlie back in uh, '99, and uh, actually one of the amps I've got, uh, I got an old 50 watt I bought off Charlie. It's like a 75 uh, JMP 50 watt. And I bought it in London. We drove all the way through London. And uh, uh, he was uh, was giving us a tour of South London. And he was going like, Joe, look there. See that pub there? You know, I I sang in there. And while I was singing, somebody hung themselves. Can you imagine that? And, And we were, of course, we were like, silent there was nothing to say right so but uh charlie's charlie's a great guy unbelievable like uh he's still going along uh, like crazy on stage you know 72 years old um unbelievable and dick is like a super talent uh um so english subhumans are incredible as were the canadian subhumans of course right um i put them on a par uh and dick has another really great band too is a bit more ska called the citizen fish but he he's an excellent guy and and uh you know what he's a, dick what i love about dick is that he's the type of guy that will stand up to issues and like um see what he thinks we were playing a rebellion festival with him last summer it was like uh the subhumans doa real Mackenzies, uh oh stacks of other bands anyways and uh Dick got up and talked about, like, you uh, know, the anti-immigration sentiment in England and, you know, the the, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the whole Brexit vote. And, you know, he didn't parse any words. You know, he's a man, a man of action. I love him. Did you guy. ever
0: talk to them about the subhumans from Vancouver? You know, the subhumans versus the
7: subhumans. Yeah, I mean,
3: maybe in the early days when we, we probably first met Dick uh, back in 84 when they were just, like, really, really young. They were probably, like, 17, 18 and they lived down in Brixton, uh, close to the Welsh border. And uh, we played this big thing called the Peace uh, House, right, which was this uh, anarchist, crusty peace house that you played this hall, right? And uh, um, and we mentioned about the, being the subhumans from Canada, and they, and they knew about them, of course, right? But they were just going like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. They didn't say too much, though. They were more, more like, oh, we love those guys, or, or they're our rivals. They didn't say anything like that, right? They you know, they're. they're you know, they're totally a nice bunch of guys.
0: What was the D O A lineup then? Was Wimpy in the band?
3: Yeah, he was. Uh, so his, Wimpy had been the joined D O A in the beginning of eighty two, and so our first real European trip was in eighty four. So that's when we first met uh, uh, the Subhumans uh, down in down in uh, not Brixton, but in uh, Bristol. Bristol, that's it, right? Sorry.
0: So the uh, Subhumans, I thought... Wimpy met another Subhumans.
3: Yes, he did. He did. And Wimpy uh, didn't have too much to say about it. Like, he was, I mean, when people use your name, um, I mean, that kind of happens. Like, um, uh, we were in a band in Toronto called The Skulls, like our first punk rock band. Like, Wimpy, Simon Werner, Dimwood, and I. And uh, then we heard of old band called The Skulls from L.A. And we went, oh, no, there's our band called The Skulls. And they're in L.A. They'll be way more popular than us, right? <laughs> so we thought, well, why don't we call ourselves uh the Red Skulls said Dimwit, and somebody else said, how about the Numb Skulls, right?
0: <laughs> or the Bloated Pigs.
3: Well, that was the next step, right? The Wimpy and the Bloated Pigs, that was uh, the opening band. It was us changing instruments, right? So um, so Jerry Hanna, uh, Jerry Useless, Subhumans, again, uh, would have a band to play in because he'd come out to Toronto with us but he didn't have a band. So I drummed, Jerry played bass, and uh, Wimpy sang, and uh, Dimwit played guitar.
0: And we're speaking here to Joe Keithley of DOA playing the Rickshaw Theater on July 6th, Friday, July 6th, as part of the Fight Back Festival and Uh uh, basically a release party for your new record, Fight Back. On the Uh record, I noticed that Ron Ray's ex-Black Flag singer sings on Fight Back.
3: Yeah, he does. He's actually, uh, if you look at the Fight Back album, he's, he, it, we didn't work it out this way on purpose, but his backup vocals ended up in the first five tracks. So he's on, you need an ass kicking, killer cops, time to fight back, we won't drink this piss, and just got back from the USA. So it was great. It was really fun hanging out with Ron. He's like an uber-talented singer. And you know, you know the type of guy, when he steps in front of a microphone right away, okay, this guy's got so much power. And you can just crank it out like he's, uh, he's great. And plus, he's a great guy, too.
0: How many times did you see him play with Black Flag?
3: Um, well, we played the, with every lineup of Black Flag, like with all different singers, starting, you know, obviously with Keith, then going to Ron and to Des, and then finally uh, a whole bunch of shows with uh, Henry as well, right? So um, probably with Ron, I'd say we probably did like five or six or something like that, maybe it was four. But Ron did a really funny thing. Uh, we never had DOA merch before, so like in about, 81 or 82, he was in Vancouver. We were going like, wow, how these bands get T-shirts and sell these T-shirts? And Ron said, I'm going to show you how there, guys. Watch me. He got like a car, piece of cardboard and cut out the name DOA and then laid it through a, a blank shirt, T-shirt on the sidewalk and got a cast spray paint and spray paint DOA with the cutout. And went like, went, they went, there you go, instant merch. And went, <laughs> so he was the originator of the, the DOA merch.
0: How rare is that shirt? It must be really rare, that shirt.
3: Oh, okay. who knows where it is. We only made one.
0: Do you have many rare shirts? Like, when people come I, to yeah, DOA I, gigs, are they wearing rare shirts?
3: I see people come up uh, with really old shirts I haven't seen in years, and I kind of forgotten about the design. You know, like, DOA's probably had like, I guess, say 40 different designs. You know, a lot of them would be variations of the skull or the arrows, you know, but... Um, but sometimes people come up and uh, they'll have their shirt on. The one that's really noticeable is the "Let's wreck the party" because the ink was so thick on the shirt that people were wearing it. And obviously, the people wearing it are usually like 50 years old or more, unless they've given it to their son. And uh, the only thing really left of the shirt is the crest, like the, you know, with the the logo. And the rest of the shirt is like in tatters. Right? <laughs> the logo is made to last.
0: And we're speaking here to Joe Keithley from DOA. If anybody has any questions for Joe, it is 604-822-2487, C A T R. And Joe is playing the Rickshaw Theater, an entire festival, the Fight Back Festival, on Friday, July 6th. I notice also you have Michael Scholar singing on a new LP.
3: Yeah, Michael's a buddy of mine. Uh, he did the, the adaptation of uh, Hardcore Hardcore Logo. I made Hardcore Hardcore Logo Live, which was the theatrical version, which is played in Toronto, Edmonton, and Vancouver. And uh, he talked me into writing new music for it, like taking the words from the book that uh, um, uh, the author had written. And, uh, yeah, that Michael's a great guy. I'm a pretty good singer, too.
0: Who is Colleen cordingly
3: Colleen Courtney is a singer uh, that uh, um, a friend of our drummer's uh, drummer Patty. Um, oh boy, I got to think what that is. she's she, she's in a local band and pardon me because I can't think of the name right now. I've been traveling a lot lately, right? So, <laughs>
0: but you do thank her on your brand new LP, "Fight Back."
3: Yeah, yeah, we, got, yeah, we have a bunch of people singing there. It's a um, good lineup uh, for Tom Jones, old DOA drummer Fort Pierre. Uh, you know, he's an outstanding singer. Obviously, he's on there.
0: Yeah. Fight Back, DOA, next Friday, July 6th. Politics also, Joe Keithley. Are you running for mayor coming up? Are you involved in politics? Are you running for mayor?
3: Yeah, I was in my hometown of Burnaby. I'm running for the Green Party. Um, the election for all civic elections in British Columbia are October 20th, right? So. And I'm running for mayor, and there's a few main issues that we would put a moratorium on the demo evictions. If people, your listeners have heard of that, but basically uh, people are being kicked out of their uh, low-rent apartments uh, to make way for much more expensive high-rise towers, right? So that's one of the big issues that we're fighting to stop, that we think it's unfair and obviously completely heartless
0: now this is something that is not new to you you've like knocked on every door in burnaby why haven't you been elected and passed? i mean you've knocked on every door people they must know you by now
3: people yeah i mean uh, they do know me and uh, generally people like me and uh it's it's a tough it's been an uphill battle running for the green party uh, pretty well every time and uh so I think that's the reason why I haven't been elected yet. And uh, But you know what? This time I think uh, I'm liking my odds, right?
0: So. And we do have a clip here from Andrew Weaver. This is Andrew Weaver, the leader of the Green Party, when I presented him with some DOA beer. Here is Andrew Weaver on Joe Keithley. And I have a gift for you. A DOA beer. Nice. A DOA
8: beer. Nice. Double knife. I know why you're saying that, because one of our
0: Why am I saying that?
8: Because we got Joe Keithley, lead singer of DOA, as our candidate for Burnaby Lougheed. Lo- Lo- is, it, is it a pale ale, though? Is it an IPA? Uh, It's a band beer. It ban-
0: is actually a DOA beer. You are in possession of a DOA beer. Oh. Wow.
8: And I have you have no idea how many of, of, of Joe's albums I've got. I've got a bunch of them. I got some of the old ones. I got some of the new ones. My son, nineteen, he's into DOA too. So they're they're just timeless. And this beer, it'll age nicely.
0: What is it like having a punk as
8: part of the Greens? Well, he's he's uh, we, we call him a musician, not a punk. But a musician. He's a. F- I like the word punk. I know you would like, but we think of him as a. He's a kindler, gentler version. I mean, the punk was in the 1970s. Now here we are in 2017. He's a middle-aged guy and a baseball coach. Kind of stereotype doesn't quite work. But he's a a wonderful person. I don't know whether you know Joe. I'm sure you do. But he's just such a community guy, such a hard worker, such an honest guy with such integrity. And I'm proud that Joe's on our team.
0: Andrew Weaver. What do you think Joey should add? Oh, Joey Keithley. Andrew's
3: a great guy. Like, he's a really uh, sincere leader. And that's kind of one of the... I had ran for the Green Party in, uh, provincially, uh, in 96 and 2001. And then I I dropped out for about 10 years. And, but I went to a convention, uh, in, um, Nanaimo in 2014, Green Party convention. And, uh, I, I saw how they were getting organized and, uh, uh, met Andrew and I was like really impressed with him. I was going like, okay, uh, these guys could do something. And, uh, you know, and it, to me, it was a natural fit. Like, you know, I've always been an environmentalist and, and, you know, the, the, green way of doing stuff is trying to, trying to be rational and use it like, do stuff logically rather than like on a whim or just to help your supporters or, you know, like to make political hay, right? It's a bit more thought goes into the green party than the other parties. So that's why I joined and Andrew's a great leader.
0: What do you think about the word punk? I consider you a punk. I love the word punk. What do you think about the word punk in politics?
3: I think it's. I think it's cool. There's no. I mean, uh, the the papers out in Burberry refer to me as uh, punk rocker. Joe Keithley run for mayor, right? So, I'm fine with that because I go on door knock uh, and people go like, ah, oh, yeah, you're that guy from that punk band, right? And it's not like all of a sudden they close the door. They're actually more intrigued and interested, right? <laughs> you know, what I mean. And now, you've got to understand, maybe 20 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. But, I mean, hey, these people are all going up with this. And, like, uh, uh, music has changed. Uh, outra- more other outrageous types of music have come, come and gone and that type of stuff or, or, or flourished, right? So, and uh, I think, you know, society's a lot different than it was, like, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, right?
0: Joe, what about the beer, the DOA beer that I yeah, gave Andrew Weaver? What did I give him Exactly.
3: Yeah, you, that, I, I did see that clip, but it's been a while since I see it. was it was with the black and white label.
0: I think it was the CBC era beer.
3: You oh, know. that stuff's pretty good. That was, um, yeah, because Grant Lawrence, our friend Grant, uh, was doing this thing where he got independent breweries uh, to get beers and name them after bands. So Old Jail Brewing out in Chilliwack um, did this beer. It was called D.O. Ale, right? And uh, it's pretty good. But I would advise Andrew not to drink that beer because I think it's probably gone off by now, right? Because it's like this probably five, six years ago.
0: And if people want to see DOA go off, they can come out to the rickshaw next (laughs) Friday, July the 6th for the Fight Back album release party and festival. A whole bunch of bands are playing, including an MC. Aaron Chapman is doing the MCing.
3: Awesome. Yeah, I, it's, I think that's great because Aaron's become like becoming like Vancouver's uh, resident uh, author historian. So it's an interesting transformation. Like Aaron's like a great musician, he's like a, a real good guy. Uh, but uh, you know, writing a book about the penthouse and about the Commodore, and he's probably, I think he did one about the Clark Park Gang, and he's probably working on a new one, as far as I know, right? So, but uh, so he's uh, he's our MC for the night.
0: Joey, do you know every city? Like, when you go on tour, have you been to the city before? Do you know every city? Do you know cities more than anybody?
3: Uh, well, you know, there's that old song, I've been everywhere, man. Yeah, I've been everywhere. I breathe the mountain air, man. I cross the desert. bare. I've been everywhere, man. Yes, I've been everywhere. Uh, not quite everywhere, but, uh, you know, hit the gas. And soon we're going to be there, man. Soon we're going to be there. I mean, probably when we fly into Europe and uh, and stuff, you know, I see these maps, you get on the airlines, uh, you know, on the back of the seat in front of you, and uh, and it shows city after city, and I go like, yep, played there, played there, played there, yep, played there, 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 there. I mean, I played over 4,000 shows with this band, so I mean, uh, I guess I've never played in Africa, you know, I've never played in India. But I've started now. with played quite a few places in China, Southeast Asia, and obviously Europe, uh, tons, and United States. We've been everywhere, right? So
1: you even
0: played a high school with minor threat, bad brains, and SOA. Hmm. What was that all about?
3: Yeah, I think it was called the John Washington Carver High School. It was in Arlington, Virginia, which is the the burb south of Washington D.C. And uh, these. Kids, uh, young punks, got to come there, and uh, the usual thing. Uh, we can't guarantee your money, but if we show up, we can. Uh, there'll be at least 50 people there, or something like that. You know, whatever the deals were in the old days. You know, maybe you get 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it was. I can't remember. And uh, who should be there? But the initial big parts of the Washington D.C. scene, among them Ian Mackay and, uh, uh, and a 17-year-old Ian Mackay and a 17-year-old Henry Rollins, right? So. And, uh, yeah, it turned out to be a real influential, influential show um, in the D.C. scene's uh, history, right? So it was, like, pretty, pretty cool, right? And it was like, you know, at this point, we were older than those guys. We are probably, like, 23 to 25 or something like that, and uh, it was great. And I think we actually ended up playing there, again, the same high school the following year as well.
0: What was it like in D. O. A. when you played on the West Coast in L. A. to like three thousand kids? Like I saw you play like the Olympic Auditorium or the Santa Monica yeah. Civic. What were those gigs like? We played with like Black Flag. You played with like the Sexuals to like three thousand people.
3: Those shows were great. It was like um, unbelievable because I mean, every even in New York City, you couldn't. Um Get that bigger crowd for punk rock, except maybe one time we played with the D.K.s, and they obviously got the biggest crowds anywhere of all the punk rock bands, right? So, um, <clears throat> but the Olympic Auditorium shows, yeah, we played with the Exploited, we played at Santa Monica Civic uh, big shows there with uh, with Black Flag with we played with Motorhead there, and uh, you know, the, the, but the punk rock shows at the Olympic, what people got to realize is that, um, that was built for I think the 1932 Olympics in Los Angeles. So what they would do is hold 10,000 people, and they wouldn't open up the top, but the bottom would be just rocking. And you'd have three different mosh pits, right, going on, circling around, uh just like crazy, crazy. And, uh yeah, it, it was excellent, right, because you've got the – I mean, that's why, I'm, you know, a lot of ways that people think – uh you know, hey, London's the home of punk rock, I'd say, you know what, California is pretty well the king of punk rock in a lot of ways, right?
0: Did you ever headline those, pl- I think you did, Did you headline? didn't you? Did you? How yeah, many times yeah, one, did you headline?
3: It was the Nagasaki Nightmares, so I think it was Us and, um, oh, it's an old English brand, I, th- I can't remember, yeah. Uh, them and the upright citizens and uh, one other one, right? So and it, was, it was Gary Tovar, the guy who started Golden Voice. He put on those shows, and they, they were great. They were great because you got so many people saw you, yeah, you got paid really fairly, and would help pay for the tour type thing. And uh, and with the other some of the other ones were just uh, outstanding as well. Like,
0: <clears throat> what did you think headlining to like three thousand people? Did you think okay, punk is here to stay?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Well, it was big, and we played some big shows like in Italy. We played the uh, the first big hardcore show there, like in '84, uh, and I say it was us, Crashbox, and I think CCM, or maybe Negazione, I can't remember. And say three thousand kids showed up to that, and we were we were blown away. Like if we're in Italy. We never been here before. You know, and they, they obviously weren't all there to see C D U A, but they knew a little bit. Of, oh, there's this a, a good, really good punk rock band from Canada that's going to play, and everybody just piled. They came from towns everywhere in the area, got on trains and went there. It was like, a, it was completely out of control.
0: We are speaking here to Joe Keithley from DOA, who is playing at the Rickshaw Theatre Friday, July 6th. Next Friday is part of the Fight Back Festival, 604-822-2487, 604-822-CITR, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions for Joe Keithley of DOA. So you played these big places in Los Angeles, and years later, you would play Salt Spring Island. With fishbone?
3: Yeah, did we go to Salt Spring with fishbone? Wow. Okay, I just saw uh, um uh uh Norbert, uh, um the bass player down. He was uh, at Punk Rock Bowling in Las Vegas, so I just saw him at the uh, hanging outside uh, like one of the Las Vegas hotels, and it's just like haven't seen him in years. But we did an entire month long tour across. Across Canada, we played Sydney uh, from Salt Spring to Sydney, Nova Scotia with those guys. They're a great bunch of guys. and a re- really great band.
0: What sort of food does DOA eat on tour? Like, what restaurants are you eating at? <laughs> what do Paddy and Mike like to eat on the road? Uh,
3: okay, that's a good one. Well, the last tour, because we just did, um, uh, two weeks ago, we got home from the Western U.S. tour. So we did 22 shows in 22 days. And covered 20,000 kilometers, right? And so there wasn't a lot of excess time. So I think we can probably rate every burrito stand across the Western United States, right? And give them their rating from one to minus 50 or something like that. And the, we found the worst place was uh, it's called Taco John's. Well, first off, if you're gonna make tacos, uh, the, the, the John doesn't work, right? You know, it could be Taco Wands or whatever. You know, it's like uh, or Aztec tacos. You know, so. That was probably the worst place and um, you know you try to eat healthy, uh, but sometimes it's impossible right you're out in the middle you're out in the middle of Missouri you know you get in there and uh, you know uh, you get a choice of uh, deep fried uh, chicken deep fried burgers deep fried fries uh, along with some some healthy deep fried something else.
0: What about Carls jr?
3: Carl's Jr. We didn't stop at there wasn't that many out where we were. Um, it's okay. I mean, if you like burgers, I, mean, I I try not to eat too many burgers. Right? It's, you know, it's like I don't think it's that good for you. Right? So,
0: Randy Rampage titled his book "I Survived
3: DOA." <laughs> that uh, was pretty funny when I saw that because I talked to Chris Walter, who uh, helped him write it, or put it together type thing, and uh, you know, and they're both really good guys and. Uh, I, so Chris interviewed me. He wanted to corroborate some of Randy's stories and stuff like that. And you know, um, I, when I saw the title, I was going, kind of, "Oh, oh dear!" <laughs> but it's okay, right? It's like uh, uh, I'm fine, right? You know, it's, it, I wish Randy all the best and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's, it's all good.
0: Speaking of food, Randy said in his book, Chuck Biscuits, your drummer, quit in Texas and it ran into a field, and you coaxed him back with a milkshake.
3: I it's a milkshake or something like that. He was that it was in uh, Waco, I think, and uh in, like north of Austin and uh uh he quit, got really mad. But the the fight that preceded, I don't know if Randy told her that uh um Randy said something to Chuck and Chuck grabbed his brand new bag of Doritos, I think, or
7: Yes,
0: he mentioned that there. in the book. He mentioned in yeah, yeah. I survived so, DOA.
3: Yeah, okay. So the chips went flying everywhere. So Randy was so mad, he took this like canister of like um, chip dip and threw it right in Chuck's face. So then <laughs> Chuck quit, and then uh, said, so you know, then cursed at us and blah 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 blah. And but I, 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 I bribed him back. It was with, the, with a milkshake or something like that from Dairy Queen, you know, near the bus depot in Waco. He was trying to get a ride home back to
0: Vancouver. Milkshakes are very important with DOA, aren't they?
3: I think so too. Chuck's other big food, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen his video where he goes through all the cereals, right? the you know, cap chocolate and stuff like that. That and The other thing he really liked was um, spaghettios, right? Uh, which are this kind of circular little uh, pasta things in this uh, gooey red sauce right in there. It's really not very good, but he was kind of addicted to them, right? So, you know.
1: Randy
0: also mentions about some of those friends heckling the Clash. What do you remember about that? The Clash Suck signed J <laughs> Shithead.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I I I gotta say we opened up for him at uh, at the gardens on the Peony grounds, right? And uh a big crowd and we, we played then uh the a really good band, the Rockabilly Rebels. Played uh, and that was the Clash, of course, right? So, um, and I, I'm still big fans of these guys. One of my favorite bands of all time, and uh, you know um, that, it, you know, they were uh, they were being kind of dicks, but you know, we didn't know anything about rock and roll, so they they were like rock stars, and we were like just young punks, and so that word got out that the, the Clash hadn't been very nice to DOA, so people started heckling them between songs, right? And our old manager Ken uh, was right in front of the stage and uh, was yelling at Mick Jones, and Mick Jones offered to have a fist fight with him. And Ken said, why don't you come down the floor? I'll fight you any time <laughs> right? This was in between songs, right? And afterwards, Mick Jones remarked, uh, uh, oh, boy, we'll never come back to Vancouver. We hate your city. And we really hate that heavy metal band, DOA.
0: What's really ironic is, weren't you later on booked by a heavy metal booker, Marshall? He booked Van Halen.
3: Yeah, uh, Marshall Burrow, like uh, the, the the cousin or nephew of uh, Milton Burrow. The happy you, know, you have to be old to remember this, but the old time classic comedian, right uh, from the '60s. Um, but Marshall Burrow booked us out in New York and got us so much money. We were going like, wow, this guy's impressive. And then he got on our show in Boston, and and I think he later on when he managed Rat.
0: How long were you with Mar- Marshall?
3: Well, we did two shows with them, and, uh, you know, they're pretty good shows. We kind of wish we had done more, but it, it didn't work out that way, right? So,
0: When did you last speak to Chuck Biscuits?
3: Oh, boy, quite a while ago. I think, um, oh, like a long time ago. Probably at uh, a Wake. So that's like 96, so like 22 years.
0: Does he have any I mean, interest I- at all in the DOA legacy? Have you been playing gigs near where he lives
3: yeah he's never shown up i mean I'm sometimes in contact with him you know i tried to coax him out of retirement uh about 12 years ago to go down to australia with me and randy and i thought it was just you know be a fun thing to try out and uh just see if we could get it going again and uh Yeah, then he at first said maybe, then he said no no way. And, you know, so basically now I just send him into royalty checks and they get cashed, so I know he's alive and he hasn't moved. So, you
0: know. Where is he, in the States?
3: He's in the Seattle area.
0: We're speaking here to Joe Keithley of DOA, who are playing next Friday, July 6th, at the rickshaw as part of that Fight Back Festival. And speaking of venues in Vancouver, that's at the rickshaw, the Commodore, when you saw the Ramones at the Commodore in 1977, was it yeah. full? Was it full?
3: No, um, I think, I don't know exactly, but they, we knew about the Ramones. Dylan had bought the first album. We were listening to it quite a bit. And, uh, and they're running ads in magazines like in Kerrang and all these old magazines. And, and the caption for the Ramones was The Ramones, or the first album, the most unusual record in six years. I don't know why it picked out six years, but it was like a strange ad. and Then uh, said the Ramones were coming to Vancouver, but uh, I think they'd only sold about two or four tickets. And, uh, of course, uh, my old friend Drew Burns used to run the Commodore, um, rest his soul. He freaked out, and then he uh, made it like a free show, and they started announcing, Sea Fox, coming down, see the Ramones for free at the Commodore, right? And about 100 of us, 100 of us showed up, uh, a, another fine band, The Loot. From Seattle opened up. That's the first time I saw them as well, and then the Ramones came on, and uh, basically uh, it was like the textbook. Everybody in Vancouver went like, "Oh, that's what punk rock is." It, we finally, because we've been seeing little clips on TV about you know the Pistols and uh, you know the, the 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 shops in London and uh, all that kind of thing, right? And, uh, but we saw them and went like, "That's how you do it." Right. And, they, and they did. The, they're the template for punk rock, and they taught everybody that, right? So,
7: Joe
0: Keithley, what about the English bands? I noticed at Gambados in May of '79, you said I hate you, and you dedicated that to the Jam. What did you have against the Jam?
3: I don't I, I, honestly, never I don't remember. I don't remember that. But I had the first two uh, Jam albums, which I think are really great. Uh, great kind of pop with a tiny bit of punk in it, right? And uh, But my, all of my albums got ripped off on some tour in the early days, and uh, um, I don't remember why I would say something like that, but uh, there you go.
0: But I, I guess in general, wasn't it sort of like the English punks hated the American punks? What was the relationship between Wadi of the Exploited and Jello Biafra?
3: I don't know the history there between those two guys. I mean, I saw we played with Exploited in uh, Slovenia, I would say, like eight years ago, like a pretty big show. And he uh, was totally friendly. I hadn't seen him in like, in, oh, God, probably 20 years or something like that. And he was doing good. I mean, I, I know he's kind of had a bit of problem now uh, with uh, some hard stuff. And so I'm I hoping he's okay. I, they're coming to Vancouver soon, aren't they?
0: Yes, they are indeed. In the fall. Yeah,
3: no, it'd be great. No, yeah, yeah. Um, so, the one thing we always said about English bands, because, you know, we'd play a song, like a popular DOA song, you know, The Enemy, The Prisoner, World War Three, whatever, and uh, people would yell out, ah, play World War Three You know, we just put it five minutes ago. And I, I'd always say, you know what? Only English bands play their songs twice, right? <laughs> which I did play with the original lineup, uh, Sham 69, which is one of my favorite bands when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, so we're playing at Rebellion. This is like 15, 18 years ago, you know, in Blackpool in the, in the U.K., obviously. And um, they did a, a kind of like a punk rock version of Borsal Breakout, which is a great song. And then about a half hour later, they did like a kind of a hardcore version of Borsal Breakout. And then towards the end of the show, they did like a reggae version of Borstel Breakout. So I thought, you yeah, it's a good song, but you're milking
0: it. Amazing, and we're <laughs> speaking to Joey from DOA. Joey, what do you think about the UK managers? Bev Davies, who is also part of your fight back show, maybe you could mention the fight back show happening next Friday. Bev Davies is part of it.
3: Yeah, Bev's gonna have a whole bunch of uh, photos up, uh, like in the entrance way in different parts of the venue, the classic. Uh Stuff not just the early Vancouver scene, but uh, the bands that came through Ramones, Clash, uh Talking Heads. Uh, she was the the go-to photographer, and uh always had a, a great way. She's never that tall, but somehow she managed to. She had this one camera case that was about a foot high, made of hard plastic, and she'd stand right in the middle of the pit and get these great, great shots. And but everybody knew his bet so you didn't. Knock Bev over, right? You know, it's like, uh, you know, you had respect for Bev because she was great. And uh, um, so, yeah, it, it's great. It would be great. Uh, that's uh, a good part of the show, that people would look at all these, uh, they, some of her great shots from the old days.
0: And she traveled with you, DOA, to Europe quite yeah, a bit. I think yeah, a yeah, few times, right?
3: California a few times. And then uh, the really iconic stop uh, was uh, in London. We went to London in 1981. Um, because we saw this newspaper ad, you know, like, uh, and said, uh, dead Kennedys, uh, anti-knowary league and DOA in London at, the Lyceum and hold about 3000 people. And we're going like, nobody told us about that. Right. So, and, uh, but then we phoned up, uh, and phoned over to the UK and got hold of the promoter. Then we got hold of like, uh, um, jello's label type thing and said, yeah, we can get you on the bill. And that sounds great. So it was pretty cool because we, then we got a single out. Um, it was a five-song, seven-inch EP called uh, Positively DOA, which have, like, Fucked Up Ronnie and uh, World War Three and three other songs. And uh, that got out there and it became Single of the Week. We arrived there, and uh, we played the big show uh, there, and uh, uh, English Hells Angels were going to beat us up. And finally, um, East Bay Ray came to our rescue uh, and, and came in the dressing room. These guys, they didn't like the way we talked, and... Ray came in and said, hey, hey, it's it's cool, guys. Uh, uh, They're kind of like Americans. They just, uh, they talk a little funny.
0: Bev also mentioned that she visited some managers and she played them like subhumans and they complained to her. Why do you say like dick? Why do you say fuck in your songs? Was that the difference between like American and British punk at that time? Like British punk was afraid to say the word dick, to say the word fuck at that time? I don't know. I
3: remember, I kind of vaguely remember that Bev doing that, right? But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the subhumans were ballsy, right? So, no doubt about it, right? So.
0: And, um, G- and Jim Walker from Vancouver ended up yeah. the drummer for Pill, and he almost was in a DOA video?
2: Yeah, he, um,
3: I don't remember the part about the video, but what he did do, if you get the, um, the Vancouver Complication record, So there's two DOA tracks on that. It's like the original version of I Hate You. Um, And there's another one that Chuck wrote called Kill Kill This Is Pop. But Jim came along uh, to to the studio that day and acted as the producer and kind of helped us organize it. And uh, he had been in the Furies for a while, like Vancouver's original punk rock band, uh, the very first one, obviously. And uh, then he moved to London. next thing we knew, uh, he was in the PIL. We were like, "Wow." wow. So... When we got over there in 84, we had a really fun night because uh, um, we, uh, Jim got hold of us at the show. And he says, yeah, yeah, he came down with John Wobble. And John Wobble had stacks of cash, so he took us out to all these bar, late-night bars in London, right? So, You know, pay, paying for uh, cab rides and uh, the drinks and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty cool.
0: Isn't that pretty amazing to go from Vancouver to, like, johnny rotten's drummer that is like the ultimate thing through an ad how did
3: that happen i don't know how he pulled it up but he was a good drummer so he was the you know you know music is like being in the right spot at the right time that's an awful lot of it right so
0: what do you think about that the punk scenes like number one the uk new york you know a tie number two la number three vancouver Toronto, how do you rate the different punk scenes? Where did Vancouver fit in? Was Vancouver number three? You know, if the UK and New York yeah. are tied, or how would you rate the punk scenes?
3: i put, well, I mean, obviously the biggest influencer were like New York and uh, um, London. And then i I put um, LA in at number three because of so many iconic bands came out of there, you know, from X to Black Flag to the Circle Jerks. Um, then, like four and five, you know what I put? I put in San Francisco and Vancouver because San Francisco came up with a whole bunch of really good bands, was really unique, and Vancouver was really unique and a whole bunch of good bands. So that's where I'd rate that. I mean, obviously, i put Toronto way down the list. I'm sorry, people from Toronto, but i like, uh, you know, there's some good bands from there. Wild Tones uh, that did one kick-ass EP, and uh, there's some, you know, The, the Ugly, um, uh, you, know, you know, and then obviously later on uh, from the area, the demics and stuff like that. You know, good bands, of course, right? So, um, but yeah, I don't think that Toronto
0: was even close. Joe from DOA playing the Rickshaw Theatre on July 6th. Winding up here, skinheads. What do you think about skinheads? Didn't skinheads at one time turn over Frightwigs' van?
3: Yeah, we were in Atlanta. We were just talking about this with... um, Barry, who used to play with uh, RKL, but now is the guitar player with MDC, and we're just touring with MDC for a month. And uh, they, it was, opening was RKL, and then, um, oh, the guys from uh, Seattle that Biafra played with for a while was the guy Guy has the the fuzzy hair, the kids. The Melvins. The, King, the Melvins, and then DOA. Um, and then somehow, the Freiburg is traveling with us, and uh, they were out in the van I was like, But across from the venue was this uh, old, burned-out building <clears throat> that, the, I guess, the skinheads hung out there. And they had all these, like, you know, like, Nazi and racist slogans on the, the front of the building type thing. So, you know, we knew they were around, right? And they were always trouble, especially in those days. You're talking, like, 86, 87, 88. There's, like, tons of skinheads. I was sure there's zenith in America. And uh, so all of a sudden, John Card uh, come around He says, these skinheads are trying to knock over in Freightwink's van. And we about six or eight of us ran out there and, like, uh, you know, gave these guys a boot and stuff like that, and they they ran off, right? They were trying to rock the thing onto its side cause, you know, the girls wouldn't open the door, you know, wisely, you know, so.
0: Amazing. Have you encountered anything like that since?
3: No, the rocking the van one was a unique one, right? But um, like, the last time I ran the skinheads was actually in Olympia, Washington, and that was about uh, a year ago. And uh, it got it got pretty ugly, and then finally uh, it, nobody got too badly hurt. Um, yeah, but there was a lot of uh, <clears throat> there was a lot of sourness and a lot of yelling. And finally, uh, some a whole squad of Olympia, Washington police came down and dragged these guys away. You know, they had the knives on them and stuff like that, right?
0: What did it start over?
3: I nothing. They just came in and mindlessly wanted to start some crap, right? And uh, you know usually there's not a lot of thought involved uh, when you when you take a racist uh position that means somebody hasn't really put like a lot of thought into life and what life means uh so they you know and you end up with the uh, disaffected young men uh, that are looking for a way or a cause or something like that it's, it's a little bit like uh joining isis isn't it right so and um you're joining this like foul organization and they're, they're group of people and uh Inflicting damage and hate, and uh, you know, so it's really a lot of them do grow up. I mean, they either grow up or they end up in jail or they end up dead.
0: Joe, what about old Vancouver punk houses? Is there anything left like Luxury Bob's, Stalag Thirteen, the Plaza, Kramer Manor, etc.? What happened to these places? Is there anything left for punk yeah, history the in plaza, Vancouver? The-
3: the plaza is still there. Um, I didn't get a chance to get down there, but a guy bought it, like, for him and his family.
0: Uh, what and, location for people interested in checking out these historic sites? Roughly, are they located?
3: Uh, like, uh, the plaza uh, was right uh, near the corner of um, Clark and uh, Georgia, right? Big, big tall house. Uh, please do not harass the guy. Um because he phoned me up and he said, hey, um, I bought this house, and uh, I started, like, uh, fixing up and painting it, and I started peeling up uh, wallpaper and pieces of plywood, and I started finding all this old punk rock graffiti. Then he realized that he bought this, uh, probably Vancouver's most famous historic uh, punk rock house, and uh, he wanted me to come down and take a look at it, but just somehow I didn't have time or whatever. I can't remember right. So, um, But Cramer Manor, I, I, don't th- I don't think that one's there. That's kind of down where I live in South Moravey. That's not too far off. I don't think the house is there anymore. It's like a business, you know, like a, a mini garage or something like that. And uh, the, the rest of them are all gone, They're like Fort Gore. Um, and Fort Gore is at the cor- corner of uh, Prior and uh, Gore, right? So it's just at the end of the viaduct. And um, there are three houses there. And uh, one of them got knocked down, but two of them stood for quite a while. And, uh, and Dave Gregg, uh, rest his soul, took it over and fixed it up and DOA practice there and uh, had lots of parties there. And it's like, yeah, it was a good place why I lost it.
0: You mentioned Dave Gregg. We're going to end with a clip of me talking to Dave Gregg from 1987. He came up to my radio show with Ian from Curious George promoting nice. the Intensathon.
3: <laughs> yeah, which was uh, at Graceland uh, off of uh, Seymour in Vancouver, right? It's not there anymore. Um, and uh, the Intensathon—I try to think—you played. We might have had
0: uh... A Judy Radul was playing Curious George. He runs down all the bands that are playing, and that's kind of what you are doing right now with the Fight Back Festival next Friday at the Rickshaw
3: yeah it's basically taken, taken from the, taken from that intensathon idea the idea is to have multiple stages and different things going on So, you know it basically was all based on uh, like the trips festival of the sixties right which I never went to um i uh, you know i'm not quite that old right so um uh but they'd have these like multi dimensional like uh festivals and then obviously the one that really capitalized on that became very popular was uh, Lollapalooza was based on the old Trips Festival. So, yeah, definitely the Intensathon is tied in with uh, the Fight Back Festival.
0: And Dave Dave came out to my show with Ian from Curious George and he did name that bass line. He did, I handed him a bass and he played the bass. He loved Madonna. Like he sung a Madonna song and I think it's pretty much one of my favorite moments ever doing my radio show. Dave loved Madonna, didn't he?
3: He, he did. And uh, We had this big red school bus, which Ian from Curious George uh, had helped paint. Right? And we painted this big red school bus, and um, the school bus was horrible. Like, it bankrupted the TOA for about two years, right? But Dave loved driving it, and he would take his uh, Madonna cassette, he yeah, had a couple of them, and play it over and over again, you know. And we'd be in the back at the card table, like, gambling type thing, you know, passing the time, and, uh, and we'd be yelling, like, take this crap off, right? And that would just make Dave turn it up. So. <laughs>
0: Well, he got to live out his fantasies and rest in peace to Greg, Yeah, Gregg. Yeah,
3: Dave, Dave Greg. was a really uh, a super guy, uh, you know, loved by all I would say.
0: Right? So I'm going to play this clip from 1987 of Dave sure. Greg and Ian from Curious George and also Stefan from CITR, rest in peace. Um he does the news but I think Dave eventually does the sports too. He reads the sports out. Dave was incredible. He was like to come out to CITR to do the sports, to be handed a base and to do a li- baseline. It was pretty cool. I, I was going to mention one last thing, uh, Joey. Is it yeah. true that you had your finger hurt by a chainsaw?
3: Yeah, um, we were sort of kind of like the first time and we've done two farewell tours, one in nineteen ninety and one in uh O thirteen. And uh the crew was great on the Farewell Tour in nineteen ninety. It was uh Chai Pig was selling merch and John Wright from no New Wings was the roadie, right? So but we had this chainsaw we used every night during Lumberjack City and uh John said to me before, and it's the final show it was in Seattle. And uh, John said to me, "Oh, yeah, hey, be careful! There's a, uh, a big crack in the flywheel, right? So, because there wasn't, there was no chain on it, right? Obviously, we've been like gone to prison long ago, you know, cutting uh, things off, right? Um, but the flywheel is spinning around incredibly fast, if you know what, no people know chainsaws, and um, I managed to stick my, uh, um, I guess it's the fourth finger or whatever, right? Uh, but One of the two that use really use a lot for guitar playing, into the foot, the opening uh, where the flywheel was and ripped the whole end off of it uh, right at the end of the show. And uh, I went backstage, and there was these kids from. uh, Eventually, they ended up being like Portrait of Poverty and stuff like that. They were backstage stealing DOA's beer, and I was so mad at myself. I came back and I I started throwing balls of beer against the wall and smashing. I was uh, cursing myself how stupid I was. Uh, Ending my guitar, guitar guitar career and uh, these kids ran for their life. They thought that I was mad at them. <laughs> so like, yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. And eventually, uh, yeah, it, it came back and was fine. Right. It grew back. How long? Um. Probably got the feeling back. You know, four or six months. Right. But we had the show at the Commodore like about a week after that. So I had to kind of convert how I play guitars. I used the first two fingers instead of the first and the third. Like. Uh, um. And then we worked out with uh, Chris Proholm, Took over all, like, the lead things that I used to do. So we switched it up so we could play the show.
0: Hello, Joey?
3: Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah.
0: Um. Right. I, I thought you were going to go on um, to say something about you and Chris, but um, shout out to Chris.
3: Yeah, Chris Proholm. He's a father now. He lives in Victoria. Yeah. I- might still be playing music, but he's not really making public appearances. But uh yeah, great guitar player. Used to play in the Dagos and uh, played DOA for a, a good chunk of
7: time and yeah, yeah.
0: And you will be making an appearance next Friday, July sixth at the Rickshaw DOA releasing their record Fight Back and the Fight Back Festival. So we're going to play that clip from 1987. The Nardware Show from 1987 with Dave Gregg and Curious Georges Ian and also an appearance by Stefan Ellis from CITR. Uh, also, if there's time, hopefully there will be, we're going to also play We Won't Drink This Piss. What is that song, <laughs> We Won't Drink This Piss, yeah, yeah, on your new record?
3: Uh, We did a tour uh, in '99. It was like seven English bands, six American bands, and DOA. It's like a 14 band bill. It's called Social Chaos, and we're around the United States for a month in the summertime. And uh, the promoter um, somehow he got this deal that the only beer that he would supply were Miller Lite and uh, Bud Light. Okay, so and there'd be you get backstage, so uh, there'd be a big huge uh, vats of this stuff like with ice and these cans of beer and every day the English bands would arrive, and it's not that we like this beer, but we you know, we gave up complaining because the guy wouldn't change it, but the English guys would arrive, and they go, we won't drink this piss. What is this piss, right? And they, they would do the same thing every single day, and he, would, so we just laugh. So this is a really dedicated to the, the punks of England. We won't drink this piss.
0: By DOA, and of course, we have as well Dave Gregg from 1987, and you want to add to the people out there Joey Lee from DOA
3: um, no uh, show next Friday should be really great uh, really great lineup like 10, like I said 10 acts and uh, yeah uh, then a couple of, in uh, about 10 days we're up on a tour of Chicago to New York and uh, we end up at the big uh, festival in Montreal it's called Montreal 77 with a bunch of really good bands, right so
7: why should
0: people care about DOA why should people care
3: um, I mean, that, well, I mean, it's up to them. I mean, uh, it's really, I think, you know, DOA's always had three kind of main things there. One was that, uh, hey, you know, we're out to change the world. Two, we're out to play loud, obnoxious uh, drums and guitar and playing really fast. And three, we're out to try and be uh, be funny and have fun doing it, right? So that's kind of the, always the three points of every uh, DOA record or the approach at a show type thing.
0: Well, thanks so much for calling in, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-a-loot-do.
6: Do-do. And how did you meet Dave Gregg of DOA? Well, Dave and I sort of had a, a mutual interest. I started going to DOA gigs uh, a while ago.
5: So you were one of those people that, that sort of just showed up? And, I was
6: one of those people who showed up and uh, went gosh and, and all that. But Dave and I noticed we had a similar, uh, similar interest, uh, one of which is uh, model rocketry and uh, pyrotechnics. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Things that go fast and uh, explode.
5: Is that what the sound of Curious George would be explained as? Something that goes fast. Something that explodes. Something that abounds. Is that the sound of Curious George? Most definitely. And what
6: is your favorite type of soap, Curious George? Actually, um... My mom was going to Woodward's the other day, and she called me, asked if I wanted anything. I asked her to pick me up uh, three bars of zest, because I find, you know, zest, just like they say on TV, that it really does make you feel cleaner. and a rinse And it rinses clean, and you don't have a slimy, uh... What about Irish cream? Okay, are you ready
5: for, uh name that baseline yeah. Nina, okay all you people out there in radio land dave greg here and courtesy our sound effects people sound effects people perhaps some noises sound effects
6: all right well, i gotta say this uh, whoever can name this uh, this baseline will receive Two passes to the DOA show this October the 22nd. That's the intense at Graceland with DOA, No Means No, Death Sentence, Eye Brain Eater, Judy Redule, Mechanormal, Industrial Waste From Calgary, Cryo, blah, Cryo, Rengi, Gogo, Loop of the Butcher, Loop of the Butcher, Animations, Videos, Displays, Anti-Nuke, Stein River, Native Rights, Central America, and more. Continuous show, two stages, Food by Dids, $8 advance. So, if you can name this baseline.
5: More volume on that uh, sound effects people okay Dave we have we have a we have a somebody phoned in and said it's something obscure something obscure is that a correct answer it's not really
6: obscure as a matter of fact uh, Paul Schaefer's band did, played it on a few on one of these episodes of that nauseating show The David Letterman show. Yeah. But I want you to know that I figured that out off the record before he did. And they didn't even do a very good job of it. I'm doing a better job of it right now than they did. Indeed, indeed.
5: So should we maybe move on to another name that bass tune line peop- so people can win out there perhaps? Well, that was like
6: a pretty easy one, I thought. Make sure. Well, I don't know. I'm going to pass the base over to Ian. Maybe He knows a baseline that someone can name.
5: Okay. Sounds Las Vegas, the, the The answer is. What was that? The, the, the caller says it sounds Las
6: Vegas. Well, they obviously haven't been to a Curious George gig like
7: <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, trying to get that.
5: He said was three Acres. What's this one?
7: I, know this one. I played it wrong.
6: No one out there in Radio Land can name that Steve. tune. I'm shocked. Uh, Dave, Dave Gregg of
5: DOA, somebody said you were playing it wrong. <laughs> I did,
6: I did. All right, all right. I'm, I did play it wrong. Like I said before, nothing worse than a guitar player trying to play the bass. <laughs> It's putrid.
5: Oh yeah, I forgot you play guitar. Sorry, everybody out there. Dave Greg doesn't play uh, bass. He plays Obviously. guitar. Sorry. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we try one more time again for uh, a, a call-up? One, one more time. Sorry, we'll give everybody out there one more chance,
6: okay? Holy That's for like my whole reper- repertoire. It's like, it goes... Oops, I started on the wrong chord again.
4: so fine. We're harmonizing too. All your clothes are custom made in London. Well, I've got something that you'll really like. I'm gonna dress you up in my love all over, all over. I'm gonna dress you up in my love you with velvet kisses. I'll create a look that's right for you.
5: I'll okay,
4: dress you up in my love all, all over, over, all over. I'm gonna dress you up in my Yeah.
6: Guess that song. Name that tune and you can win two Okay. three passes to see DOA at the intense line. You thought that was intense?
5: in a few minutes will be the news with Stefan Ellis, the CITR news, that is, and Dave Gregg, Matt Miles, will do the sports for you. Sports? Sports, yeah. Somebody say sports? Sports. So All right. I, so, Dave, if you'll just stick around for a while, I'll... lay st- it on you right now. But well, we have to have the news has to go first, I think. What kind of priorities have you guys got out here? I, I'm not sure you have to. You can direct all your complaints to Kevin Smith, program
6: director, CITR, <coughs> 6138 sub UBC. I couldn't help but noticing on this sports sheet that I've been handed here that, the, that it goes uh, baseball, football, then hockey. Well, and not only that, it has to follow the news. Like, what's going on around here? Well, um,
5: I, I don't know. I think this is, this is life. This is life, but well, I'll tell you what.
6: All right, listen, before we go here, I've got to plug this gig one more time. Oh, d- w- d-
5: well, there'll be more time after the news, I think. There'll be a minute to plug it. This leave people in suspense out there <laughs> about, about the intensity on gigs, so I think Stefan is a bit agitated. Stefan is a great guy. Everybody out there, I'm not running him down. I think it's, it really does good news, and so all you people out there, sit, uh, sit, sit back and enjoy. Stefan Ellis, what's the news? Stefan, you want to, um, just...
6: If I can get in here, I Oh, yeah, yeah. Here. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I was sitting <laughs> in your chest.
5: Well, John, it's quite an honor to uh, have DOA here do the sports right after I do the news. But uh, but first, we'll get to the news. Good afternoon. It is 3 o'clock. I'm Stephan Ellis. The Queen has left Vancouver after a week-long visit to areas of British Columbia. She is on her way to Regina. During a speech, the Queen asked people to give prayer with her for peace in Fuji. The Southern Pacific Island country has been torn by a coup linked to racial intolerance. The Queen told 300 dignitaries
7: at a dinner use here yeah. the top, he some that tasted just like piss. i said my brother your car e more of this my water torch light monster's water you if you on gas!